welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your resource for recapped reviews and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Kennedy. I'm your host, Jenny Carlson. And we are back in the saddle again. We ride season five, year five. Can you believe it? I can. What a long, strange trip it's been <laughs> from YouTube to Netflix to three roller coaster years on Netflix. Indeed. This is our season five react episode. If this is your first episode and you are just now joining us, we're going to talk about the season as a whole, and then we're going to drill down on spoilerific topic. This is a react, like look. This is purely addressed at people from the future who are finding <laughs> Cobra Kai on Netflix, possibly years in the future, possibly after the show is concluded. They want a recap show. They want an after talk show. One, thank you for listening. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Two, if you are like me and you like to binge an episode and then listen to the recap, binge, recap, binge, recap, then yes, you should definitely skip forward. To the next episode, Cobra Kai 501, Long, Long Way From Home. Indeed. But if you are here with us week to week as the show is coming out in the present, then also welcome. We greet you. <laughs> we greet fellow, you. Fellow fans. And we're going to talk season five in painstaking detail here's what we're gonna do we're gonna tell you a little bit about season five then we'll banish those who don't need spoilers and we're gonna talk about the big news that's right talk about aspects of the season that really stuck out to us how it was shot how the music sounded Mm -hmm. what our characters are up to looking Mm -hmm. at those easter eggs and just all the while infused hopefully with a sense of wonder for a show that seems to reinvent itself every season yet never forgets its familiar beats it's it's never reinvented itself more than this year. So should yep. we jump right into it? Well, I think we should, but I just want to shout out they are number one on Netflix. They've been number one on Netflix in multiple countries for over a week. Oh, shades of last year where they stayed in the top ten for quite a while. I believe it's day nine and they're still number one in the U.S. They've been number one in the U.K. for also eight days. They were number one globally for many days. So well done. Even with, with strong other contenders, they still have held forth. And 100% on Rotten Tomatoes for this season. See, that's what I like. I went back and double-checked that, and yeah, it's so far it's just season one and five with the 100%. All the other seasons are 90 or higher, but so far, sticking to that 100% fresh score, and with good reason. Yeah, I think now we can give us general impressions. I would just say... An amazing season. An amazing season. All the previous seasons have been great, entertaining in their own way. There's been a lot of setup in those seasons, and, and as I've joked a lot, especially in, in season four, that some of our that this team does a great job of conveying exposition with characters. It seems like this season a lot of the exposition and the the setting the board took a backseat to slow and patient scene work that packed really powerful punches with a lot of payoffs. So series-wide storylines really coming to a head in this season. And another thing that really stuck out to me is that prior seasons have had characters regress as they work out like trauma from the past or situational misunderstandings. But this season allowed most of the characters to grow and move together. Well, 
I think you bring up a lot of great points there. I agree. Just kind of continuing on where I was going previously, I think overall, you know, the quality and the consistency of this show, even after five years, is is quite astounding. Aesthetically and from the performances, from the production design, from the fight choreography, all the way down, the consistency of this show from year one to year five has been absolutely brilliant and not something you see a lot. Usually by the time a show's getting into the fifth or sixth year, you start to see the wheels come off or the show starts becoming something entirely different. And so for Cobra Kai to still be consistent yet true to itself, yet also reinventing itself, it's really something to see. But as far as your points are concerned, I think the real thing that stands out to me this year is just where these characters have arced to. Like a lot of characters either completed their arcs they had started with by the end of last season or their arcs get resolved this season. And so for the majority of the season, all these characters that we've come to know who've often been at loggerheads with each other are fighting on the same team and everyone's on the same size and in their big karate family. And it's fun to see that and it's fun to experience that. So I'm really glad to be here for it. it they described it as a karate soap opera, but this year it feels like a karate soap opera where all the conflict seems to be coming externally rather than just bickering between characters. Yeah, and there were, there was a time and a place for the bickering that drove a lot of the action in early seasons to great effect. But now we know who the characters are. The characters, by and large, know who each other are. Mm -hmm. And that gives us so much room to play and to grow and that they can help each other grow as opposed to antagonizing each other into growing. It reminds me a little bit of Lost or just any show that expands its world. Every season there's a new external antagonist. In the first season, it's that the Losties all have to get to know each other. The second season, it's I think the others or the others come in. There's the hatch, all these these puzzle boxes that come. And in this case, yeah, Terry Silver came in and proved a lightning rod that everyone else had to arrange themselves around. Right. And in a lot of ways, kind of fulfilling the promise of, of Karate Kid 3, right? Yes. It's like the plot of last year and this year is very much what the plot of Karate Kid 3 should have been. So it's great to see all the reactions as opposed to just presuming Terry Silver went away. We see Terry Silver's not going to go away. He's getting bigger and stronger. And how does everyone react with the moral understanding, with the self-knowledge they've gained over the past few seasons? That having been said, it's not just the characters that are older and wiser. The whole show is just dense. Dense with cultural references to other shows. I said last season, the whole of season four is an Easter egg. This season does it again. But none of that feels stilted. It feels very organic to the show because at this point, after five years and plus more, Cobra Kai has its own mythos. It's part of the Miyagi-verse, but it is its own thing, and so it can refer back to itself in a way that just feels very total. So that was really neat, too, to just hear all the rich themes and, and fight moves and all the things that make this world real. It doesn't have to be three beats over and over again. It can be a lot of beats happening in different ways. Precisely. So I guess what I would say, just as we round out the spoilery, non-spoilery section of this, is just 
very bombastic episode, very different pacing. Again, slower, longer feeling scenes that have bigger punches at the end and quiet moments that we've all been waiting for for a really long time. So as a fan, it's enjoyable. As a person who loves stories, it's very well done. Agreed. Yeah, the storytelling this year was really on point. So maybe we should just go ahead and get into our specifics. Yes. So once again, if you are not looking to spoil, please skip ahead. Go on to the next episode, which is Cobra Kai 501, The Long, Long Way From Home. And we will see you there. And you can always come back to this episode later once you've finished the season. So shall we now get into it? Let's do it. All right. All of our predictions were wrong. Oh, well, most of them. I mean, <laughs> what what were we watching today that I thought our prediction was on point four? Miguel and his dad. Miguel and his dad. We that's called that true. one correctly that he learned to his father is that the situation is taken off the board early, and it was. Mm -hmm. And they did it in a really smart way, right? Emotionally devastating for Miguel. Very important, hard and important for his growth as a character. But it saves him and his family from suffering consequences, at least for now. Who knows? Maybe if Miguel becomes karate famous, that man will see him on TV and realize who he is. But for That's now... That's true. Yeah. For now, they knocked it out early, which is something you saw coming. So, well done. That was a good one. Did you feel like the scenes with Me Me Miguel in Mexico worked? I felt like all the stuff with Miguel in Mexico worked. I was really concerned that the show would feel kind of split in half if they held on to that thread too long, but right. it really was no different than season three, Miguel as the dream warrior, or when Daniel went to Okinawa. It was just a couple of episodes. It was just enough to give you what you needed. And then they were, and then we were back to Southern California and we were back to more or less status quo, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the show rides a number of lines quite finely, and that is definitely one of them, which is how closely should we stay to home? How focused should we be on characters, specific plot lines? Like, I think there is a lot of prioritizing as to what stories they need to tell, and the w only way to tell it properly was to follow Miguel to Mexico. And they spent just enough time doing that to where we got what we needed, and then by the next episode, Miguel was back. Miguel in Mexico didn't only give Miguel what would give us what we needed for Miguel, but also for Johnny and Robbie, right? One of the things that I was concerned about when I saw like spoilery stuff that they were in Puerto Rico shooting as Mexico and Tanner and Sholo were both there with Billy, I was concerned that they would try to have Miguel and Robbie make up on that trip. And that didn't feel very organic to me. Mm -hmm. But it did make sense that Johnny and Robbie would go together, right? They're, they're in a place of good faith with each other. They're on the, this trip. Robbie decides to stay. That all felt really true to the characters in the awkward moment when they find Miguel and Johnny runs out and everyone sees Johnny and Miguel hugging. Miguel sees Robbie. That's a really powerful moment of ambivalence that I think was very well done. Hard agree. We saw Terry Silver's defeat coming, I think, right? In this universe, I think the defeat of the big bad is a certainty. I think they left some stuff with Terry hanging open on purpose, but I think for the most part, like, Terry is done for now, right? And Cobra Kai in general. I did not see that getting wrapped up so completely, but I'm satisfied with the way they did it. Yeah. What a job they have done with this character. Who knew that out of all the Karate Kid movies, I think that they've been able to spin more plot threads out of that 
than they have out of the first two Karate Kid movies. And it kind of makes sense because, one, the show starts as a direct sequel to the first Karate Kid movie, right? Yeah. And then we get a lot of Karate Kid stuff, Karate Kid 2 stuff when we catch back up with Kumiko and Chosen in season three. And of course now Chosen, as we predicted, is all over season five, kind of serving as the voice of Miyagi-Do proper. But I think the thing that occurs to me is I think the reason that Karate Kid 3 has been so fruitful for this show specifically is just the working overtime that they have to do to retcon it all to where it all makes sense within the world. Yeah. Like, the short answer is, if Karate Kid 3 hadn't been such a mess, then they would not have been able to mine nearly as much content out of it. But because it was kind of a beautiful disaster, we've got a great villain in Terry Silver again, and we have to spend a lot of time, like, Daniel in both season four and again in season five has to spend a lot of time telling people just how crazy Karate Kid 3 is. And then just to put the cherry on top, we have Robin Lively back as Jessica this year to explain to Amanda that, yes, no, Karate Kid 3 really happened. It was a total (laughs) shit show, and you should listen to Daniel. That was a great moment. That was a great moment in a lot of ways. I didn't foresee her coming back. Actually, you did. I did, because, again, like it's like collecting uh, your Star Wars action figures. You have to have the whole set. You have to have them all in the C-3PO head. You have to have everybody (laughs) from Luke all the way down to Ponda Baba. Like, you, you just got to have them. You just got to collect them all. And the show's creators have done that. There's only two real standouts left, which is Julie and Hawk. Yep. Not our Hawk, but her Hawk. Hawk the bird. Hawk the bird, yeah. Yeah, Jessica coming back gave us a, a moment of believable exposition about Terry Silver. It grounded Amanda's understanding and moving forward. It gave Amanda an arc of now fully embracing the battle Mm -hmm. against Terry Silver. It showed us how Daniel met Amanda. It all felt really organic. And it gave the kids a moment to connect away from the valley and away from their different pressures. And then to come to Amanda's aid when she and Jessica get in that fight with Jessica's old nemesis, Elizabeth Ann, right? That's right. So, yeah, spoiler alert, a reference from The Karate Kid Part 3 is now a character... In a mm-hmm. bar fight. At any rate, it it was very, very well done. I think it was even better done than the alley thing in some ways because mm-hmm. it could just be folded in. It didn't have to be a giant event. The alley thing was great. And I'm very happy that she came back. But this felt just more chill. Mm-hmm. Like very real. Yeah, much, much, much like Jessica's character in Karate Kid 3. She was just there. She wasn't, like, full-on love interest, but... Brought the mac and cheese. She brought the mac and cheese. Once again, platonic utility player Jessica. Yep. Yeah, just hanging out, being platonic, also being helpful. Exactly. Yeah. No, it was really good. Again, we had so much to mine there. I really appreciate the show. The creators, the whole team behind the show have more faith in the show and the story of the Miyagi-verse that we received from Robert Mark Kamen and Avildsen. John Hurwitz did a Q&A and he was just saying that one time he and Hayden were in their 20s and they opted to drink and watch the next Karate Kid in Spanish rather than go out with their friends. And 
I think it's that kind of like willingness to sit with something that fills you with wonder to let it talk to you is why this is so good. Because if you'd told me we would have this much time with Terry Silver and I would love every minute of it, I would have been like, no, please, we need something else entirely. But one of the reasons why the Terry Silver thing worked, and we'll get to this in a minute, is because of the inclusion of Kim Daun. Yes. Yes. So back to the things that we call, didn't call correctly. Crease dies, but he doesn't die. And I feel like we should have pushed the envelope and seen that it wouldn't be that Crease would die. It would be that he would fake his death. Well, that is one of the big areas where we really fell into the trap of, like, I think the creators, I cannot remember who, but they tweeted something along the lines of a character must be sacrificed. And I think everybody leapt to the conclusion that, oh no, a character is going to die this season. So everyone fell into that rhetorical trap where it's like suddenly everybody's trying to predict who's going to die. But at the end of the day, Cobra Kai is just not that show, right? Like they talk a big game about it being a karate soap opera. But when they say that, they also mean that it's like no character can ever truly like die or die right you call that that stingray might die and you could argue that stingray died a symbolic death that's true as we knew him he came back as stingray the stingray the white stingray yeah. the white yes and given his emphasis on that pc crap i would say he's very much stingray the white <laughs> indeed yeah no to my point it's like yeah uh, cobra kai is just not that show like not yet they're always going to err on the side of not necessarily the safe choice but certainly like the, I was going to say the family-friendly choice, but there are quite a few jokes on this show that are not family-friendly. I think they always want the show to feel like there's consequences, but at the same time, killing off a character in a karate fight certainly would just be too dark. Well, yeah. Josh Heald, in an interview, references, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but the gist of what I read was that he said they d- they considered it but they decided that a karate death was not in the cards for this season. That would be so extreme that you couldn't really, like once that happened, you couldn't really go beyond it. So not ruled out, but definitely probably the end of the show. Or if someone dies, they die of other causes that then feed into the way the story goes, which is more interesting, I think. Certainly more interesting. Or, Or if there's ever a Cobra Kai movie, yeah, that would also fold into that. Exactly. So other big news beyond our... Oh, and the other thing that we were terrified of was that Chosen would die. That was... And I think the show oh. played with that expectation quite a bit. They in did. that they kept setting up scenes where it would be very tragic if Chosen were to die after that scene. Yes. And, it, and we were kind of waiting on pins and needles throughout our entire binge of the season. The first thing we did after the first time we binged it was rewatch the Chosen scenes to enjoy them. True. Because I had been so scared for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So really thrilled to have been wrong about that. I really thought, and don't take this idea, writers. This is a bad idea. You shouldn't take it. But narratively, I really thought they were going to have chosen die defending Miyagi-Do as, as someone tried to burn it down because mm-hmm. Terry Silver's previous association with fire at Miyagi-Do yeah. and chosen pr- previously trashing the Miyagi home in the Karate Kid Part 2. Like, I was just like, oh, this is going to happen. Didn't happen. Didn't remotely happen. So thrilled. Thrilled that it didn't happen. Yay. Exactly. So now, other big things that just happened that we're really excited about. Miguel and Robbie make up. Miguel and Robbie make up in a big way. That was very satisfying to see. Yes. 
Tori and Sam make up, and, and all of these former rivals team up. It's a veritable team of rivals. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln and Doris Kearns Goodwin. Very much so. Well, Tori and Sam make up, but just barely. I think that, I think it makes sense because both of those characters are in a position where their animosity would die slower and harder than almost any other pair of characters outside of like Daniel and Johnny or maybe Robbie and Miguel. But if Robbie and Miguel can make it work, then anything is possible. So it's very smart that they close that loop first and then Tori and Sam make up. And again, it's not even so much that they decide to be friends. They just decide to stop antagonizing each other and reach out to each other for help. They're not hanging out at each other's birthday parties. Yet. Part of the deal is that Miguel and Robbie have a special motivation to get along because they're Johnny's kids and karate kids. So they are linked whether they like it or not. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I have higher hopes for Tori and Sam, but I think that... I think the show doesn't need them to have conflicts that come out of misunderstandings or superficial thinking, which is one thing is that they each thought the worst of each other. And I think if they have conflicts now, it won't come out of that, mm-hmm. which is good. Now, Miguel and Robbie, I think I think it was a genius move to have them fight it out, that to have Daniel be the one to suggest it to Johnny. That whole thing of, of Miguel and Robbie's coming together felt like, I was like, why couldn't we do this two seasons ago? On the other hand, the timing felt great in the moment. It was good to see it happen. And also great to see how they both reacted to Johnny's big family news that he and Carmen are having a baby. Right. Well, again, after they fight it out, like you could basically have told them anything at that point. I think they probably would have been thrilled. But then, yeah, Johnny just kind of doubles down on it by accidentally letting it slip that they're having a kid it's a pretty outstanding moment it is well i think both these kids are really kind-hearted you could say all kids have the capacity for kindness but these two kids have particular care that that they haven't quite known how to show miguel maybe a little a little better at it than robbie but like that moment of finally being on the same page was great because the next thing they got to react to was this news and while we're here johnny and carmen are having a baby that is something i probably should have guessed but I don't think anybody could have predicted, but it oh, no. does serve as a great catalyst throughout this season for a lot of Johnny's development and to kind of cement the development that he's already made mm-hmm. over the last four years. And I think that, again, it comes organically out of all the previous decisions that the show has made, and then it just kind of puts the cherry on top. And even if the show does a full season six and she doesn't give birth, like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Common giving birth is going to be the season six finale. Probably. If we do season six, that's got to be, like, the season six finale. Because, again, it's an even year, so we would presumably be doing the entire school year for season six. Unless... Well, I don't know. We'll get into other predictions later, but I'm going to make that one now. Is it a boy or a girl? Again, it's got to be a girl. Yep, I was going to say it's got to be a girl. Yeah. Fiction logic determines that it must be a girl because he's already got two sons. There'd be little challenge in Johnny raising yet another son or misraising yet another son. Yep. But misraising a daughter would pre- would 
be a completely new set of challenges. It would put him into next Karate Kid territory, which would be interesting. Well, I think that if we continue to see Chosen one way or another, it puts Johnny, Daniel, and Chosen into Three Men and a Baby territory. Whoa. Yeah. So that would be incredible. Just hilarious. And I just need a reprise of of Ted Danson, Tom Selleck, and the Goot singing Goodnight, Sweetheart. That is, these things are all on the table Just for give season it to six me. as far as I'm concerned. But, but more predictions in a minute. Indeed. So yeah, that I was surprised by. I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a fan of it. I'm not not a fan of it. It is weird to see Johnny's character, though he's still kind of a lovable oaf. And people talk about Johnny being dumb. I don't think he's dumb. I just think he's not motivated to indulge anything but his own stuff. Yeah, he's not he's not stupid by any means. He's just not motivated to be intellectual. Yeah. And there's a big difference. Yeah. Or he knows what he likes and he's going to stick with what he likes. Exactly. It makes sense that he would realize the need to put the work in because he slacked off on Miguel and then had to chase Miguel to Mexico. And that reunion scene between him and Miguel and all the conversations that he and Robbie had in Mexico make a lot of sense for Johnny growing and changing as a character and then trying to use Google and Goggle to find out how to prepare a house for a baby, how to have kids do conflict resolution. So it was a little uncanny to see, but it made sense. Mm-hmm. And it was very sweet, because who doesn't love Johnny? Do we want to talk about Daniel and the LaRusso side of the equation? Yeah, and I think Daniel's arc is amazing here. Mm-hmm. He gets to transform from being young Daniel LaRusso in a middle-aged man's body to sort of becoming a sensei on his own terms, a master sensei like Mr. Miyagi, or like Chosen already is, right? He got to step into this role, and he went inward. He literally went into Mr. Miyagi's room and faced that down and had Amanda and his friends help him. And that was really hard for me to see because I'd gotten used to Daniel being a certain kind of cornball who didn't go any deeper with that, Mm -hmm. and to see him go into that room and face that felt was hard to watch. But again, it was a deal where the reaction was not because it wasn't well done. It was because it was well done, because it was a lot to see. And to see Daniel finally realizing that he can wield the Quicksilver method against Terry Silver, and that doesn't make him any less of a good sensei or any less of a caring person, was that and just having fun with his former rivals is really a wildly satisfying place for them to take him. And it's funny because now that it's happened, it's like, well, of course. But up until now, I didn't think they couldn't do it. I just didn't think that they were going to take the time to do it. I thought they had so many other dragons to slay. But it was absolutely crucial to the story that they give Daniel that time. Yeah, exactly. I think they did a great job of kind of bending Daniel's character in new ways that they have not tried. There's a moment early in the season where they've basically taken Daniel and Johnny and flip their roles from season one. Like Daniel comes into Johnny's house. Daniel's a mess. He's got a five o'clock shadow. He's been day drinking all day. And Johnny has never been more together. Like he's got his apartment cleaned up and he's been trying to sort things out with conflict resolution. He's been super square all day. And so it's very fun to see them in that kind of role reversal where they're not only just kind of taking each other's positions but also now they're friends instead of enemies sniping at each other or karate kicking each other yep so i think turns like that are pretty amazing and again the whole turn with trying to like drive a wedge between daniel and amanda like they've been on the same page for the most part for the last four years and trying to find a way to 
bend that out of shape and then get it to come back together was equally interesting. Yeah, it worked. It all worked. And seeing Daniel relate to everybody, Mm -hmm. a lot of the show's early tension derived from waiting for all these different characters to finally come into contact with Daniel LaRusso. And now Daniel gets to be, he's fully unlocked um, in the game. He gets to play with everyone. Mm -hmm. Seeing him interact with Stingray was just, oh, such a delight. The Stingray thing, I had no clue how much I needed to see that from Stingray. Stingray scenes this year were great. I didn't know how they could possibly have topped last year's, but they came up with some great stuff for Stingray to do that gave Paul Walter Hauser some really interesting emotional hills to climb and watching him process all that and then also be funny and doofy and weird was amazing so if anyone was gonna inherit the cobra kai mobile it was gonna be stingray that's true yes true also i did not expect to see the cobra kai mobile back ever again have hero moments and get a hero moment too that was crazy oh that was so good we screamed like audible from space the screams when daniel larusso said he's driving around in your old cobra kai mobile Mm -hmm. so before we move (laughs) on to the next topic do we want to talk about crease's arc or possibly lack thereof this year oh i think crease arced very well yeah yeah do you not I think they arced as much as it's possible for a character like that to arc. I think at the end of the day that they made the smart decision in that Kreese never really got redeemed, right? Right. No, I think that's true. And Kreese never really elected to change his ways. He just realized new things about himself and his situation but he's still, at the end of the day, Crease. In fact, the final episode makes a very, very clear statement of that, that Crease is always going to be true to true to himself, for the better or for worse, but mostly for worse for everyone else. I think that's a great segue in just talking about a few of the themes and ideas that are happening this, this season. Because yeah. with Crease, like... Well, during a Hurwitz Q&A, there was a discussion of whether or not Terry Silver could be redeemed or should be redeemed. And Hurwitz's response was a sort of tongue-in-cheek, well, why? All he's trying to do is help the students learn, turn power into strength or whatever. But to redeem Terry Silver would be an insult to Terry Silver. There's no need for redemption. And Crease here is the very similar deal where we got to see Crease's inner life. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think about redemption in terms of the inner life of a character. Like, when we see under Darth Vader's mask, then we realize his redemption was earned, right? In, mm-hmm. in Return of the Jedi. In this case, we see that Kreese has an inner life. We mm-hmm. see him in his discussion with the prison therapist, with all of the different people who've driven his action, that he's mm-hmm. pinned his actions on. Whether it's Betsy, the girlfriend he lost, or his evil captain, or Terry Silver, Johnny Lawrence, both young Johnny Lawrence, de-aged with a great actor, standing in bodily for BZ, or older Johnny Lawrence, and Tori. So we got to see Kreese feel these feelings and work through his emotions and justify himself. Then we get to see Kreese in this sort of Better Call Saul-like interaction where he's trying to lift the key card from the therapist, but he legit kind of breaks down and talks about how his student, Johnny, has rejected him. And then shortly after that, he tells Tori, we're not going to do this intrigue anymore. So he cuts Tori loose. There's enough of care left in Crease for those like him to cut Tori loose and not involve her in what comes next. Mm-hmm. But then he fakes his death. 
So they've allowed us to see that, yes, Greece is a human. Yes, he cares about these people, that he carries them with him. That's all real, but he's still making these choices. And the choices may not lead to a happily ever after for John Kreese. Right. But, and also, I'm just thinking of it from the writing perspective of situations where if you bend a character like that too far out of place in an attempt to show that they grew or changed, then you change them from the original character. Yes. And that was the character that people liked. And so when you change them enough, they are no longer the character that people liked. And I think the thing that people lock onto with John Kreese is just that he is one of those great, great bad guys that's fun to watch him do bad things in that sense. And so if he were to ever redeem himself or ever fight for the good guys, it would feel weird and it would feel wrong and it would feel unearned. And I don't think that anybody's interested in that. So they did a really good job of answering the question of what does redemption do and is it necessary here and letting us sit with, no, we want to see this guy be a bad guy. He wants to be a bad guy or in his mind, he wants to advance what he cares about, which is making his students better than he is. And for him, better means stronger melting the snowflakes more ruthless yeah. that's right he you wants know? the next generation to be more ruthless than him that's who right is also who is already the most ruthless mf'er that ever took up space on a celluloid screen and like. more ruthless <laughs> than terry silver in his own way oh for because sure he wants what he wants it's funny like for all that he's Terry's- so ruthless that terry silver had to put him away for a season just to get time for himself exactly well here's the thing about terry silver and hopefully i'll remember to say this when we get to this point in the season as well but last season i think was when he was reading leviathan by thomas hobbs Mm -hmm. he talks about how miyagi do justifies its way as they're better than we are and so they deserve to win but that the truth is there is no better way but the deal is that if terry truly believed that then he wouldn't be so obsessed with his own strength Right. right, because he has this deal about turning power into strength and doing all these things. The but inter- he wouldn't be trying to take down everybody else if he truly thought his way was better, the right? The internal logic falls apart mm-hmm. if you push it. And I think that part of that is just Terry Silver has just such an extraordinary will. He needs to be stronger than. He needs to be stronger than his father. He needs to be stronger than his captain. He needs to be stronger than Crease. And this is the deal about the show is like this feeling of what is better, to dominate or to be strong in partnership and vulnerability. Yeah. The show answered that question saying it's the latter, which has always been the Capra-esque way that Avildsen and and Cayman shaped this world. Yeah. And you bring up a great point, and it it really cements the difference between a character like Kreese and a character like Chosen. Like, the show makes very clear choices in who they decide to redeem and who they don't. Like, Johnny, Chosen, Mike Barnes, all the second bananas of the respective Karate Kid movies do have a redemption arc, whether it was on screen or not, it's there. Yeah. Right. And those characters are redeemable because either they were just going along with what Kreese or Terry Silver wanted or Sato wanted, and they were being bent by forces beyond their control, even though they may have been good hearted people all along. Right. And we just didn't notice it at the time. <laughs> Any character who says I made a mistake and I would like to correct it in the show's ethos shows honor. And honor may not allow you to survive, but it allows you to reduce suffering. Your suffering, someone else's suffering. That's why when Chosen has that incredible scene with Tori early in the season when he's undercover at Cobra Kai as Sensei Joe, mm-hmm. which, oh my gosh, we didn't even talk about how the detective 
stories in this show. Like so many like buddy detective shows in one season between Daniel and Chosen, Chosen and Johnny, Daniel, jo- Chosen, Johnny and Mike Barnes. Oh yeah. We can Limo dive down Justice. on those in the individual episodes. But yeah, a lot of taking it on the run this season. For so, sure. so much taking it on the run. But like, anyway, when Chosen is posing in the uh, Sensei Joe and he says, honor is why he's here. That is a real moment where you see, okay, that is one of the pillars of the Miyagi-verse, mm-hmm. right? Is keeping your honor. Yeah. And it's not just honor versus shame, right? Which is one way that people talk about culture and power in Japan yeah. or in martial arts. It's something that's a little more human and enduring here. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Even Stingray gets his honor back. Even Stingray gets his honor back. Clarence gets his wings and it's a wonderful life. And Stingray gets his honor. Exactly. time to talk about like we've talked about chosen we've got some legacy cast returning chosen of course we've seen before cast we haven't seen before we could talk a little bit about some of the cast we do and don't see like we get mike barnes back that's right which we suspected was coming many people were worried about many people were begging for yeah but like what would it be like when he comes back because it had the same tonal complications as terry silver but they did a great job they brought Mike Barnes back in a way that only this show can, which is we had a little fun with it at first, but then as the season went on, it turned out that that character had a utility that we did not expect. Uh, Welcome and, to Cobra Kai. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the whole idea of Mike Barnes joining Johnny and Chosen, the thing I pointed out to you earlier today when we were rewatching 510, if you told me at the beginning of Cobra Kai or years ago when the Karate Kid movies were in theaters or whatever, that eventually there would be a point in the story where <laughs> Daniel is teaming up with the three antagonists <laughs> from his three movies to go take down the master antagonist from Karate Kid 3, I would be like, that is nuts. But the show found a way to make it happen and make it happen in an interesting, organic, and fun way. And as a fan of those characters and as a fan of those movies, I think they found the funnest, most interesting way to bring them together, which is just play with expectations, play with the idea. Like, there, there's a little, little bit of fan service in that this season, particularly, if you ever wanted to see what happened if the bad guy from Karate Kid 2 met the bad guy from Karate Kid 3, well, guess what? You you get to see that. Yep. What happens when Johnny fights Mike Barnes? We get to see a little bit of that. Just touches of all of it at different points in the season, and it's pretty amazing. A lot of fan service. Yeah. So, okay, it's really neat because they spend this time with Mike Barnes. They bring in Jessica again, and they do a little dialing up and dialing down of the characters that we've gotten used to seeing a lot of. So Mm -hmm. we see a little less of most of the young cast or they're in different roles because their arcs are sort of fulfilled for the moment or paused. But it doesn't feel like, for example, the departure of Aisha felt... Or it doesn't feel like they're off the board. It feels like they're around. It's just we're looking at another part of the world. So we've talked about Chosen. We've talked about Mike Barnes. We talked about Jessica Andrews. And we talked about Jessica. And then 
new and evolving characters. Well, we got to see Devin, right? We did check back in and Devin and and so I love arc, how her, her character's developing. Yeah, Devin's arc took a different turn than I thought. I thought that we would get way more of her with Eagle Fang that turned out to be not true. We got more Devin, but in a way that we did not expect. Yeah. When Miyagi-Do slash Eagle Fang closed down, she enrolled in Topanga that got absorbed by Cobra Kai. She joined Topanga because she liked what she did and she wanted to continue to get better and to dominate. Mm-hmm. Then Cobra Kai came in and she looked a little reluctant because of Cobra Kai being the bad guys last season. Yeah. And Tori had beaten her up, right? So she was not wanting to be on the same team, but then she was intrigued and she was pulled in, I think, both by Tori and by wanting to defeat Tori. Also, the idea that Devin was really not with Eagle Fang even that long, like Mm -hmm. maybe a couple of weeks at the most. So probably long enough to hear that Cobra Kai was the bad guy and she had no personal firsthand experience with it either. So at the end of the day, she had an easier time falling into Cobra Kai than you would have expected one of the older characters to. Yeah, there are little moments where Chosen has to pull Johnny back from stepping in at the wrong time because he sees Devin and doesn't want her to be in there mm-hmm. with Cobra Kai. And also Devin, when she's about to fight Sam, and like kind of looks at Johnny, there's my old sensei. Ugh. So I don't think it's unproblematic for her, but she wants to be a badass more than she's going to take on a fight that wasn't entirely hers. To do. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the case with a lot of the characters who either have gone Cobra Kai or remain Cobra Kai, like Kyler. It's just like, for them, it's a convenient means to an end. Meanwhile, Kenny, what a heartbreaking situation. We don't see a lot of his like inner life or home life like we did last season. Right. But we see enough to know that he's being set up as, as the inheritor of Terry Silver's evil plan. Exactly. And, and he... By the end, when all is revealed and Terry Silver's bat, Terry Silver's unfair practices are come to light, Kenny mm-hmm. looks absolutely crestfallen because we remember this is a kid who cared about right and wrong and kindness back in the day. Precisely. He did not want to be a bully. Provided we get a conventional season six, I think we're going to see a lot of fallout with Kenny. He's going to have a lot of the same trouble and issues that Characters like Robbie and Miguel have had to resolve in the past. Now his deprogramming from Cobra Kai is going to be a complicated process with a lot of character implications. I think the absolute newest character addition is Alicia Hannah Kim as Kim Daeun. Wow, what a uh, powerhouse. Yeah, I know. She brings a completely new and different energy to the show. I think the show knows this, so therefore we get like a special theme when she comes in on the plane. She feels much like Terry Silver felt in Karate Kid 3. She feels like a villain lifted from another movie. Yes. And dropped into this show. And In I the think, best of ways. In the best of ways. I think as the show continues to evolve, they're going to find new and interesting ways to play with that. They aren't just introducing this completely new character to be a paper tiger. I think they might have broader plans for her going forward. And I think it'll be fun to see how those play out. I guess I can make a a low stakes prediction right now that I can revisit again at the end of the season when we're done with our recaps. But I think there's a very strong chance because of how they've positioned her in the show that she will be the big bad in the final arc of Cobra Kai or in the final season of season six is it or just next time and possibly teaming up again with a now liberated crease 
mm-hmm. because the show gave us enough background that she knows Crease. She's fond of Crease. We had a yeah. flashback of Crease and Terry. They wove her backstory into Crease yeah. and Terry's backstory. Yeah, it's in very, a very smart. Interesting way. It, yeah. looked, it was a martial arts film, basically. Yeah, and so that was really cool and gives me a clue that because she is terrifying and eminently watchable. And more committed to the way of the fist with no weaknesses except her veneration of the past. It's so much easier to justify evil when you're venerating a thing that's dead and gone as opposed to caring for something that's new and growing. So I think that she will be absolutely ruthless and we haven't seen the last of her. And also, you couldn't imagine a person whose whose personality on the show seemed more different from their personality in real life. As her Twitter is just her being so delighted to be on Cobra Kai and... And she's such a smart, cool, open-seeming person and all of the press that she's done and and all of the things that she supports online. Like, it's just really neat and terrifying to see her embody this villain in such a way. And also with killer ponytail whip. There's a lot of interesting little touches to her character that we'll dive deep on when she actually shows up in the show. A very interesting new character, uh... Overall, a win for the show and for Alicia in particular. We mentioned this briefly, but this is one of those moments where we get other characters are dialed back so that we can develop the world a little bit to see another part of the world. We don't see Piper in person, but we see her Instagram account or social media of some kind as, oh, that's as true. Sam looks at the water park yeah. fight. I do miss Piper's energy because they were having some fun with her last year as being like the cheerful Cobra Kai, the mm-hmm. one who is there mainly for the swag and for the look of it. Mm-hmm. If this season had had more episodes or they had more room to play with it they probably could have brought her character back in but everything was packed in so tightly i could see why they let certain characters fall by the wayside such as anthony's love interest leah yeah anthony and and kenny's love interest leah fell by the wayside this year as well as all of anthony's gaggle of supporting supporting bullies supporting bullies like that plot thread kind of closed itself last year so the show didn't really seem to need to want to check in on those characters this year again just way too much going on and with this shift in focus we also don't get to see the karate high council because there's no tournament pour one out yeah exactly not even master ron yeah not even master ron no houseless lynn no lynn the unhoused yeah and no nestor because cobra kai's not in that building anymore so therefore nestor's not next door anymore therefore no nestor yeah i mean but they... nestor is on she hulk now so he's doing all right yeah, he's tending bar don't, don't worry about nestor he, he's good he'll be fine i think that with lynn we saw her get her burrito. We haven't seen her get exactly. her meth yet that we know of unless she's just always high. Again, it's not that show, but no. I'm sure she did. No, of course. <laughs> may every may every person get the, whatever their meth and burrito is. I'll like, put that like, on a t-shirt. Like Lyle at the pawn shop says, basically. Yeah, we check on. in with Lyle of all people. That was a weird choice. He does the same thing of talking about fulfillment, right? Get mm-hmm. that one thing that matters to you, very much like Curly and City Slickers. So this leads me to think a little bit about, okay, so on one hand, it's organic that we don't see these characters. On the other hand, the show, you know, is perhaps moving from Atlanta. There are rumors that that may be the case. And true. it feels like we might have gotten a goodbye to some of the characters, but I hope that's not true. I hope that we see the Karate High Council again. We have to see the Karate High Council again, even if the Sakatakai is the big tournament. Like, I we'll, think we're not done with the All Valley. We'll get into that when we get to season six prediction. So we can talk a little bit about the 
production? Yeah, just the production itself. Like, the cinematography is incredible. It's a little different. feels like a different show. It definitely feels a little bit more refined. I was noticing when we go to Reseda Heights, Casa de Johnny, like there's that atrium area that's clearly an indoor set, but they have to light it as though it's an open air outdoor area. And I feel like the lighting of it this year was really good. The way that they punched the light through the ceiling at different points felt really natural and then like just a lot of the little touches like you said when the show goes to quote-unquote mexico which is really puerto rico the temptation on other shows over the years has been using a different color timing to make it feel or lower hemisphere but or like when when 911 lone star aka lone star 911 shows texas and it's really just east la yeah 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 Yeah. specifically there's like a washed out color timing that certain productions use When they go to Mexico, like Sicario and some other movies have made it pretty famous. Over the years, people have now noticed that and have kind of shied away from it. So when this show goes to Mexico, it looks really cool and tropical. Yes. There's still lots of pops of color and things like that. So it looks really good. Like the fighting is shot differently. It's not just that they have the cameras with the variable frame rate. Like they do different kinds of close-ups for different kinds of fights and different characters. Like... They're definitely having some fun there. Like, there's some shots, and again, we'll get into it per episode, but there's some shots that I think are lifted straight from 70s martial arts movies. Like the sped-up shot, like on Chosen? Yeah, Yeah. Musha movies Mm -hmm. and things like that, samurai movies. There's definitely some Western grindhouse flourishes every now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, Also on the soundtrack, there are some Western grindhouse flourishes. Like I mentioned, when Alicia Hannah Kim's new character comes in, they basically change it up to a much more Morricone sound on the soundtrack. Berenberg and Robinson really nail it once again. I'm going to be downloading and listening to the entire soundtrack because... For our show, we need snippets of their music just to illustrate it. But it's inspiring. It's invigorating. But as part of that, I get to listen to the entire soundtrack just over and over again. Well, like what I said a minute ago, just the music, it's a lot more dense and complex, right? Mm -hmm. They have new styles, instruments. They're mixing all these different instruments, but they always bring it back to the same core motifs that have driven the show. You always know you're in the Miyagi-verse. But the Miyagi-verse now has so many moves and feelings that the music evokes from the spaghetti western or grindhouse thing to sort of Bond-like or even Game of Thrones sounding themes and then the obvious John Williams moments, but all the while using instruments that are just mind-blowing and interesting and cutting edge. And the fights, like I said, the fights, completely different characters. Speaking of, we could talk about our favorite fights. Oh yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, I would say for me, all the Terry fights are difficult to watch. Terrifying. Yeah, that's the thing. All Scary the, Terry. All the fights with Terry Silver like are very dynamic very well choreographed but it's always him delivering a beating to someone which is never comfortable to watch right i think my personal favorite is probably the final fight in terry's house with johnny mike barnes and chosen specifically Mm -hmm. chosen's bits Mm -hmm. i think it's hard to argue against that because they give him such a great hero moment and it's one of the few fights in the show with weapons which is kind of unique for this show it's been a while since we've seen weapons used in that way exactly um but it is interesting that they give the final fight of the season to daniel yes it's interesting you're right about the the terry silver fights being absolutely terrifying and i'm glad that you said that about the chosen and johnny fighting because mike barnes gets taken out pretty early from that whole sequence and 
And then it's Johnny facing the henchmen, mm-hmm. the mixed martial arts henchmen, who are ostensibly from Master Kim's school, and then chosen V. Terry Silver. And my experience of watching that was just terrifying, because I knew that Johnny Lawrence had to live, because he's the POV character. But Chosen, I wasn't sure. There was such power in those fights, and the way that they made Chosen and Terry Silver's fights take on a mystical quality. Johnny's fight took on a very immediate, very wild quality they were really great and as we rewatched it for the fourth or fifth time today i thought well man i hope no one forgets about johnny's role here because chosen's is so majestic fighting against terry silver and if he hadn't been distracted for one second he could have kicked terry silver's ass and johnny lawrence comes back for his family it was not a surprise but it was very cool the way mm-hmm. that all of that fight went the fact that the chips were so far down on Johnny. I think that that makes sense. I share your opinion, especially the chosen part, because it was so great upon watching it, knowing he wasn't going to die, to see how hard he fought and with what honor. We get to see Johnny and Robbie fighting together, which is really satisfying. And in a way that mirrors Daniel and Robbie dealing with Robbie's former criminal associates in season two, I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting they gave the final fight to Daniel, but a good payoff. The way that... Daniel fights Terry Silver. It's not as interesting as some of the other fights. It's very slow, deliberate, move by move. It's like Sam's fight against Devin. Every strike has to count to show that Daniel is the winner. And it's very clearly overlaid with Daniel feeling okay and secure enough in himself and his own karate to turn the Quicksilver method against Terry Silver. So I feel like that fight had to happen. For story reasons, it makes sense. Well, it also makes sense in that they kind of lay down earlier in the season the idea that Terry is Daniel's antagonist first and foremost. There's a line that Johnny has in the third or fourth episode where he's just, Terry's your problem. Like, I've got Robbie, Kreese is in jail. I've got what I want. Peace. Like, yes, (laughs) which is a crazy, amazing idea that they hit early on. But then Johnny gets kind of pulled back into the fight anyway. But they definitely make a point to give the final fight to Daniel because Terry has been going after Daniel for this entire series. And and in Daniel's mind for 30 plus years. I think that this is one of the things that's so great about this whole deal is that Daniel, this is the season where Daniel steps into his own as a sensei, not just because he has the impulse to do it or because he feels like it's his burden to do it, but because it's his calling. He's the person who can do it and he should do it. And all the stars align for him to step up. And the moment in Karate Kid Part 3 when Terry makes fun of the crane kick mm-hmm. is the moment that the stakes of that movie become impossibly high. And they never address how you get over someone mocking that. And they finally did by having Daniel crane kick Terry when he was down from the Quicksilver method. And it was very satisfying. And such a way to cap off that final scrum in Cobra Kai with all the students fighting. So many wonderful moments, like the reprise of Protect the Egg, which is, of course, the Miyagi-Do move that you saw coming. That final scrum in the Cobra Kai flagship store is pretty great. I feel like I knew there was going to be a big brawl at the end of the season because that's been the pattern of these series so far. Yeah. But I didn't know how they were going to beat the brawl in the LaRusso Mance from the December 19th episode. And maybe it doesn't quite beat it, but it's definitely on that same level. So I was very happy. Nobody goes through any glass tables, for instance. No, but you could go through glass like crease and never get a scratch on you. That's right. No, but there are the Binary Brothers working to solve their problem and mixing karate with geekery and Dimitri finally getting to take Kyler down and feeling the effects 
of how great that is. There's Sam coming in to save Tori and Devin stepping up to help Tori so Sam could help Anthony and Miguel and Robbie just solidly on each other's team. Just wonderful karate. Kenny hitting Robbie is a thing that gets set up in that character-wise through very fast fight moves. So neat to see both Daniel and Stingray and Stingray having his moment taking out the Cobra Kai's. Like, that all happened in that one sequence, so way to go. It's a great sequence. Yeah, so full of Easter eggs for fight moves and and the props and things that are around and just rich with meaning and motion. Yeah, so favorite Easter eggs this year. Oh, yes. I think my personal favorite Easter egg is the TV (laughs) gets hit again in the final fight, and it's not at Johnny's house, but... Johnny is, is involved. It is the same model TV, and it is, and it does get knocked off the wall. So I'm pretty sure that in spirit, it is the same TV. Yeah. It, is, it keeps getting reincarnated and killed, much like the whale in the Hitchhiker's Guide book. I think um, George Lucas would say it's like a tone poem. It's like a tone poem. It rhymes. As I've also mentioned on a lot of the fights, there's like some subtle homages to classic kung fu movies of like the 70s and 80s i'm pretty sure there's some shots that are lifted straight from like some samurai movies i'm gonna have to go back through my lady snowblood and (laughs) lone wolf and cub box sets and see if i can pick out exactly which shots they're looking at because i feel like i've seen them before but yeah there's so much to go into but those are some of my favorite moments what about you well so many wonderful moments lines of dialogue from mr miyagi that chosen gets to use like too much advantage their dojo moments like that are really wonderful yeah i had written so many down and the one that stays with me is when they go into Mr. Miyagi's room and I just braced myself so hard because it's hard to if I were Ralph Macchio I would be challenged to play Daniel going through all this stuff he's Daniel LaRusso coming to terms with this trauma when Amanda brings him into Mr. Miyagi's room and we see Mr. Miyagi's table with his glasses and the instructions on how to paint the house like that faded piece of paper with instructions on how to paint the house from side to side that just man that it's like a time capsule in there and we haven't seen that piece of paper in decades right and yet mr miyagi kept it and daniel kept the room just as it was that really i didn't cry i just felt like i was in the miyagi verse Mm -hmm. so i think that is my favorite easter egg and the rest we'll we'll discuss over the season Exactly. Now, I would like to throw one thing at you. I'm curious who your season MVP is. If you're just going to pick one right now. Well, if I had to pick one, I think I'm going to have to go with Johnny. Oh, no! What? I thought you were going to say Chosen. Chosen is a great choice. Why don't you tell me why you picked Chosen? Well, tell me why you picked Johnny, and then I'll tell you my thoughts about Chosen. I picked Johnny for season MVP because Johnny... In this season specifically, like, has his act together in a way that we've never seen before, but it works. We spent a lot of time in previous episodes talking about how different characters have kind of synthesized their worldviews and synthesized their karate technique. But Johnny is one of the examples. He got there before Daniel. In all previous seasons, I feel like Johnny spent a lot of time getting in his own way and self-sabotaging at certain points. But I can't think of any specific moments this season that he did that. Mm -hmm. Like, Johnny has it all together. It takes him a minute to get there with, like, Robbie and Miguel. 
but he still gets there and he doesn't completely wreck everything on the way. He gets in Carmen's way a little bit when he's flustered about being a dad, but again, he gets over it within that episode. He sees what's in front of him. He sees yes. what's in front of him and he and that encourages him to obey his better angels and he's still Johnny. He's still saying dumb things and being kind of a lout sometimes. But this is like Johnny at his very best to where he's being loyal, he's being kind, he's being honest, and he's being true. And he's also doing a lot of karate kicking to people who deserve it. And we're, I'm there for it. So in on a similar vein, how do you find Chosen this year? Well, okay, I just want to say a couple of points for your MVP because yes, and to see Johnny rallying behind Daniel and working with Chosen and rolling with Mike Barnes's crazy antics. And, and getting Miguel and Robbie to make up. Oh, man. It's so satisfying. And to Billy Zabka for playing all the comedy and showing that Johnny doesn't have to be a jerk to be funny and lovable. Exactly. Like he's not just a curmudgeon. There's a lot there to love. I validate that. I picked Chosen just because that man has to carry the weight of Pat Morita and chosen's own arc Mm -hmm. and be comic relief in this specific world in today's cobra kai and relate authentically to all of the different characters he encounters and be uncle chosen master sensei teaching the students about how to be okinawan rooks and he does it in such a way like harking back to what we said about redemption he confesses his crush on kumiko to johnny and i'm so fascinated as to how they made the choice to go there, because it was pretty obvious in Karate Kid Part 2 that Chosen was into Kumiko and didn't want Daniel at least hooking up with her. And his actions were so terrible that you couldn't have pity for him. And I don't have pity for him now. But and there was no chance that they would have hooked up after that No anyway. way. No, but but they they managed through all of this to show Chosen, he's watching 90 Day Fiance, never give up hope, right? Right. He's a sweet man who's who's gotten in touch with himself and has not only done his penance but with Daniel, but like comports himself with honor and kindness. And so that, what a feat. We'd already seen Chosen could be a nice guy and sincere, but like he's not just there to be part of the past. He's there to lead us into the future and lead the students into the future. And his relationship with Johnny is wonderful. Like all these little moments. And, and he gets to make a Monty Python reference at the end. So for all that, I have to say, Yuji, I tip my hat. I guess there's no wrong answer to the MVP category, but that's what I thought we would both say simultaneously. Chosen's a great choice. And maybe had things broken slightly different, I would have picked Chosen, but... No, I stand by my guns. Uh, congratulations, Johnny, and congratulations, Chosen. Indeed. Now, we should get into our predictions for season six. All right, before we wrap it up, predictions for season six. I'm going to say season six, maybe, I know they've struck several key sets for Cobra Kai in Atlanta, and the idea is maybe they're moving to Los Angeles. Or to Albuquerque. Do, or Oh, yeah, and the, and the idea is maybe they're moving to Albuquerque to shoot some of it, if not the whole show, right? Yeah, we don't know. This is just yeah. sort of speculation based on what we know about sets changing in Atlanta. Right. And so my thought is, if that's the case, why not just lean into that whole idea that there's now an international karate tournament, and for season six, let's go Cobra Kai International. Like, let's not even check in with SoCal. Let's start season six. All our characters are on the plane to 
Thailand or South Korea or Japan or wherever this tournament is. And much like Karate Kid 2, where it's like we're just in Southern California for a minute and the rest of the whole movie is in Japan, let's just get on the plane, go. It's kind of like when the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii or whatever your favorite travel episode, but let's just do that for the whole season. It'd be a bold move. It'd be a big move, something the show's never done before. And I think you could definitely make a case for having all these characters together, but also working on all their different plots while on the move, which could be fun and dynamic. I think there is no sense from the creators or the cast and crew that this is over. There's some some concern trolling on on the internet, but by and large, there's no sense that this is over. Yeah. As Um, of this recording, there's no announcement. They've talked about how they're already getting their ideas for season six, or when asked about season six, they're like, oh yeah, we've got our ideas, we'll be working on it. Yeah. We know that Sony has announced another Karate Kid movie that gets back to the original franchise. But that's all they've said. John Hurwitz has said that that isn't about Cobra Kai characters. A lot of these deals and things are under non-disclosure agreements. If he was involved, he couldn't talk about it, even if he was. I don't think that threatens the future of the show. Yeah. For a moment, I wondered if maybe the finale of Cobra Kai would be a film with simultaneous release in theaters and on Netflix. That would be the cool choice. Well, yeah. a cool choice. <laughs> I think that the possibility is we get another season, season six, probably the final season, or we get like Stranger Things style movie length episodes that are released in a slightly unorthodox way. Could see that happening. At any mm-hmm. rate, I think the shape of Cobra Kai may be a little different because we have this new international level, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. impetus to go. I think we haven't seen the last of Kreese. I think Kim Dion is too good of a villain not to return. She's only just begun. And, and I think that Kreese still has, if not a redemption arc, something that will take him off the board permanently and that might be like standing up for Tory or something like yeah the it's it's an interesting season and we could talk about this when we actually hit the 510 episode but all that to say is it feels like they tied up a lot of the critical plot lines for most of the main characters they kept a few threads open such as the international tournament when they put Terry Silver in the police car in the final episode of this season. I noticed they made it a point for the cop to say, oh, his lawyers will be busy for quite a while rather than what you would normally say at the end of your cop show or whatever, where it's like, ah, he's going away for a long time, right? Like they're planting the idea that even though Terry Silver is down, he may not be out, right? Or he might not be down, but he's out. Like he's not dead. Right. He's not not dead, but he still has resources and he could easily beat whatever charges that the valley police (laughs) have to throw at him also if he's dying which one fan theory is that he's dying because of the fact that he was taking medication has talked about youth the thing that you can't get and was seen at the hospital where he may or may not have been at a board meeting Mm -hmm. he may have nothing to lose so we may not have seen the last of him i think for our heroes what is left to accomplish the answer is at the scale of the valley maybe not much but there is this international tournament it seems like anyone could come back into play. The next Karate Kid is still out there. As are all those monks that were <laughs> Miyagi-Do, apparently. Yeah, the Miyagi monks. Yeah. And the hawk. It would be very funny if we catch up with Julie and she has a hawk that's named Eli. That would be hilarious. One thing about, about Jessica's return is that she did it in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're starting to move out of SoCal. known locations. Yeah. The Miyagi-verse the Miyagi is expanding 
beyond the bounds of SoCal. In the past, it was just SoCal and Okinawa, and now yeah. we go beyond. So all of that to say, I think that this makes sense. And I think it's likely that we're going to see Julie because of the way that some questions about Julie are being answered. It just seems like we, we would be really happy to have her along and we can't say anything else. So that sounds suspiciously like when they were talking about Terry Silver, Elizabeth Shue, or mm-hmm. even Sean Cannon as... Like, this is something that is open, and we're not going to go any further in discussing it. I don't know what our heroes have left to accomplish. I think that we might get to see a Chosen and Kumiko wedding. I really want to see Kumiko again. Oh, that would be rad. Yeah. And again, it gets us out of the house. It gets us out of Southern California. We could go to Japan for that wedding, and then do the tournament as well. And the Cranberries tribute show, I'm all for it. Yeah. I think that we'll have another All Valley as well. I just see a lot of potential. Well, also, there's talk of the spinoffs, right? It's like we talked about how a lot of Anthony's supporting cast from season four are no longer here in season five, but we could start off a new spinoff show that could just be Anthony's world. New Mutants, Anthony's world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We have the new mutants of the Cobra Kai universe of, of just like Anthony, Leah, Kennedy, and a whole bunch of new junior high characters who are just now starting high school so they would now also be eligible for the under 18 tournament that's the other thing it's like for years the entire karate kid universe has revolved around the under 18 tournament once you turn over 18 you can no longer be in the tournament stingray mike barnes well stingray's been over 18 for a while he just has been 18 in his heart until yesterday when he defeated his fears and Mm -hmm. and became his own kind of king rather than the dwarven knight indeed Yeah, so much to say. I feel like I might conclude this and be like, no, wait, I had all these predictions, but this is what I will say. I believe that we're going to get both an international tournament and an All-Valley. Ooh, that would be wild. Uh, Or, again, if the movie prediction holds true, we could do one Cobra Kai movie-length episode that's the All-Valley, and then one Cobra Kai movie-length episode that's the international tournament. We have the two splintered, we have the cast kind of separated. We could have Anthony and his crew doing the All-Valley while simultaneously there's this other narrative. Maybe the two, maybe there's people talking on the phone to each other during the events of one, and we see the other end of the phone call and the other, things like that. The show and the team behind it have reached the point where they they zag when I expect them to zig and vice versa because they've built a world based on the shared world that we all knew from the original trilogy. Anything mm-hmm. could happen. But I think that we're going to get another All-Valley. <clears throat> Who knows? Those magical totems from the animated series may still show up. Well, Anything they already is possible. have. Things are- oh, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah. There was one in Mr. Miyagi's room. I forgot about that. <laughs> so maybe Daniel will open up one of those and be like, holy moly. <laughs> I know. People who still need to win a tournament match one way or another, Sam mm-hmm. will win something. Yeah. Either the international thing or the All-Valley. Mm-hmm. Devin will win something. Devin needs to complete a redemption arc for sure. Well, I don't know if it's redemption, but Devin needs to fulfill her desire to be excellent, whatever that is for her. Right. Tori need, Tori actually needs a win that is fair. So it's difficult because of okay, those Okay, well, let me put it this way. Devin needs a win for sure. Tori needs a win for sure. Yeah. Well, Sam... Sam needs a win for sure. I was going to say Robbie needs a win because Robbie's now fighting from a clear-eyed place. Clear eyes and full hearts for Robbie. According to the Friday Night Lights rules, he should win. And I think that Miguel is going to win the international tournament. Robbie may win the All-Valley. But Mm. it depends on all the rules and and how the team decides to take the show. I think that, that we still need to see big wins for those characters. We need to see Kenny get to a better place. There's a lot to do. I have one more minor prediction. Yes. I think 
Robbie will be devastated when he realizes he's too old to participate in the under-18 tournament. And then we'll learn that because of something Johnny did, they effed up his birth certificate. And he's actually (laughs) a year younger than they thought he was. So he's then eligible again. The Applebee's incident is that Johnny spilled a loaded potato soup on Robbie's birth certificate and then got in a big fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, but, but we can get into... We can get into dumb predictions and things in specific episodes. Is there anything else we want to cover about this season before we wrap it up? I just, wow, what a wonderful ride. It took us several rewatches. Usually we record reactions pretty swiftly, but we wanted to take some time to enjoy this one Mm -hmm. because it was such a change to see all these characters unite and yeah, and it, fight together. Yeah. Bottom line is this show felt different this year, but it also felt like it evolves. It was different out of the earlier seasons in an organic way. Are and you it, saying it was different but same? It was different but same. Always different but same. So yeah. So with that, I think we're done. So we will catch you next time with Cobra Kai season five, episode one. Long, long way from home. Long, long way from home. Until then, I've been Colin Canaday. I've been Jenny Carlson, and we are excited to say we will see you around the Miyagiverse. See you around the Miyagiverse. Are You Karate Kidding Me is hosted by Colin Canaday and Jenny Carlson. Intro music is by Chepo. Cobra Kai music is by Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson. Karate Kid music is by Bill Conti. Rate our show on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice to help grow our listenership. Email us at karatekidpod at gmail.com with questions and comments. Or find us on social media. Use the Twitter handle at karatekidpod. This podcast is independently produced by Geckring Media. Media.